are about to alienate about 90% of our fan base, JD. But we're going to have a hell of a good time doing it. I am D-Pro. He is JD, of course. And today is the wrestling theme song episode of the pod. Are you ready to remember why I didn't get laid in high school, JD? <laughs> Dude, that was my line. I... I- <laughs> I did. I, I thought, took your line. Because anytime you throw to me at the beginning, I'm like, all right, I have to say something, right? And that was my something. If you were a virgin through most of your high school career, <laughs> then you are going to love this this episode today. Like nobody who got asked was ever wearing like, a, like an Austin 316 shirt. No. And even that's on the cool side. Oh, yeah. That was the, the highest level. That, that you had your best chance of getting laid if you had the Austin shirt. But other than that, <laughs> not going to happen. Welcome back to the pod, everybody. This is the perfect playlist. Follow us on Twitter at the perfect PL or on Instagram at the perfect playlist pod. And um, as I kind of alluded to very strongly earlier, th- today's episode is not going to be for everybody. So if you are listening right now and you are not a fan of WWF slash WWE or another wrestling entity, what's what's wrong with you? But also like, <laughs> that's great. You know, hey, if, if we made that much of an impact on you that you're willing to listen to anything we talk about then the welcome aboard. Let's keep going, right? Yeah. So th- this episode is all about our favorite entrance theme songs from WWE, uh, which uh, JD, you and I were huge fans of growing up. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved it as a kid, and even into like my teen and adult years, still hung on, even though I, it felt a little wrong at times. I still kind of held on to that. But hey, before we dive into wrestling and, and some of the memories there, God bless Facebook memories because honestly my rotting brain can't recall all this goodness oh god and here's something that you posted 10 years ago oh man i don't even want to know it said this it involves me by the way (laughs) most of the time most of the time 10 years ago it did (laughs) it said quote my company's talent show is next month the people who beat me last time aren't involved this year so jd says to me you're like the 6.5 at the bar when the 7 to 10s have left yeah, thanks. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you're going to get it, if you want it real, you got to go to JD. Ah, yeah. I like tooling on you a little bit, having having some fun at your expense and your uh, attempts. Though. though I will say in that one talent show that you performed, and there's no way you were going to beat the husband and wife opera singing duo. That that undoubtedly is number I, I mean, one. They deserve their own show. They deserve yeah. their own award. Right. Like, And how do you compare like middling rock band to like <laughs> opera singer. You cannot do that. No, that is the, that is the winner of it is basically we had like an America's got talent kind of show at, at our job and deep row and his band performed and you know, you were up against a the juggernaut there. You were not going to beat that. But the fact that you finished third is embarrassing. You should have at least finished second. I know. What was it like five acts or something? Something that? like that. I and mean, come on, you're a young rock band, to, you know, you should have you should have finished second. I was in a battle of the bands in like 1998 one time at a in Montclair uh-huh. uh, College, and um, they announced the winners third place, second place, first place, and once they announced third and second, we realized we're either in first place or we're in last. I like that and, concept, by the way. And we came in last, and it was the most deflating moment of my musical career, if you want to call it that. It was it was super. We all just kind of hung our heads and just walked back to our cars. Not a title contender, as they say. You were, you were the jobber of the uh, talent show. So probably only wrestling fans are listening to this, right? So hi, Danny. Hi, Max. Hi, everybody else. <laughs> uh, so jobber is a term 
in wrestling for uh, a guy that just goes out there and gets smashed. I don't know if this is still a thing. I know it was certainly a thing when I was growing up in the 80s. A guy like, you know, Mike Smith yeah. would go in there. Barry Horowitz, just, Tom Stone. Yeah, but those are the famous ones, right? Yes. Like the Brooklyn Brawler. But some of them were just like these like pasty white guys, the local mustache, guys. like the low-level porn actors would, would get out there and just get dominated to build up some of these big names that were coming through. Yeah. Uh, so that's a jobber. Um, the wrestling universe is very, very nerdy. We have like our own secret language. Like if you say a guy's a face, that means he's a good guy or like a baby face, it's a good guy. If you say he's a heel, that means he's a bad guy. We're very trekky. Like we have our own secret language because we don't want other people to know what we're talking about, I guess. We want to think we're more sophisticated than we really are. <laughs> but, you know, entrance music dates all the way back to the 1940s, J.D., with Gorgeous George. And do you know what uh, Gorgeous George's theme song was? Oh, that's a good question. In the 40s, I would guess something about Beethoven, but go ahead. Uh, that would be interesting. But no, it was Pomp and Circumstance, oh. which later became the theme song of Macho you know Man. Ooh, yeah. yeah, which is, I mean, my theory is that like these guys probably didn't graduate high school, so that was the closest <laughs> they were going to get to a processional. I like that. Yeah, but then it really started to take shape uh, with the fabulous Freebirds. They kind of popularized like custom it, theme songs. Yeah, yeah, like mm -hmm. becoming a part of of who you are and really a part of your persona. So I'm really excited to get into that. So, um, real quick, JD, when we first met, rather, you were wrestling on the I'll call it the independent circuit. <laughs> Let's just, I know that's being very generous. Uh, that is being insanely generous. Yeah. So, AKA, your, your childhood friend needed warm bodies for something that he was doing on the side. Yeah, that sums and, it up very well. Yeah. So, you, and but you weren't bad at it. You were natural heel, big fucking surprise. Yes. Yeah, so um, a complete asshole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Basically, you, honestly, Deepro, not to cut off your story, but my theory was like, okay, I want to become, you know, at this event, at this wrestling event, I want to be the type of person that I do not want to hang out with. What can I do? What are the things I can say to make that happen? So that, you, that's my thought process. I feel like sometimes you do that on the podcast. But no, no, <laughs> in okay. life. Yes. So you asked me to do play-by-play -play at an upcoming event, like a few weeks later. This is after we first met. Yeah, this is how desperate we were. I just met you four weeks ago. And you know the standards are low. When you ask somebody, you've never heard them perform <laughs> in this capacity, and you ask them to do it live. So I'm like, are you sure about that? And you're like, it, it's going to be fine, no problem. It's going to be fine. So <laughs> I get there, and I realize I have to do play-by-play -play to a live, like amplify to a live audience. Yes. Which is so different than doing it to tape. Like, could you imagine, like, Al Michaels doing, like, Monday Night Football live to the entire stadium? Right. Where they can hear it real time as they're getting their pretzels? Yes. Anything you say to sell a certain move or whatever or to pump up a certain guy, it's going to attract the attention of, like, the 13 people that were in the crowd. <laughs> Plus, it makes the, the wrestler look dumb. Because if you're, like, if you're saying over the loudspeaker, like... Hey, he, you know, Robbie's really got to get out of this hold. It's like, yeah, well, why isn't Robbie getting out of the hold? Like, he should know that too. <laughs> I know. You know, and, and so the observational nature of a play-by-play -play commentator then does become, like, makes the ref and the participants look dumb. So it is uh, what I've come to learn as very frowned upon in the wrestling world. Yeah, yeah. And in all due respect to Danny who ran this thing, like I, I, I kind of say it facetiously, the 13 people, it's super hard to get people to these shows. Yeah. Uh, same thing with me, like as, as like a musician, artist, whatever you want to call me. It was always None so damn hard. One, <laughs> one time we had 87 people come and that was nice. like, that was great. And of course I got like $1 per head or something like that. <laughs> oh, terrible. Nice. We're talking today about wrestling themes. 
We're focusing primarily on the WWF from the 80s, the WWE from the 90s, etc. So let's kick off the show. Let's run through five of D-Pro's choices, five of my choices, our favorite themes from WWE, WWF of all time. And this first one is a banger. Oh, yeah. Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, D-Pro's choice. Lay it on us, man. Dude. What does it, this do for you, buddy? It, it's just like he was a, a footloose and fancy free character who, who like kind of relished in his own sexuality. And he's singing his own theme song. How brash and brazen is that? And it's a great poppy song. Like if he had been anybody else, this would have fallen flat on his, on his face, I think. I think so, too. It's the confidence and bravado, which Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, HBK, came out with and made you feel like okay something cool is gonna happen like hbk's in the house yeah we're ready to roll do you remember when the back in the days of the rockers in the 80s how it was him and it was marty Jannetty? yes and anytime when there's a separation of sorts when there's like a, a band that breaks up and guys go their separate ways and you think who is going to be the one that breaks out yes and i feel like at least three quarters of the people thought it's it's Jannetty. at least he was the better he was the better looking dude so he just got he just was plus, handed that. Plus, nine times out of ten, I would say that Sean was the one who would get beat up during the match because yes. he was the better seller. Yep. He was the one who would... Um, uh, selling means you take the hits and make it look real. Yeah. He, he was great at that. He yeah. would bump all over the ring, uh, which is a testament to his talent. And then he'd do the hot tag, as they say, which is like yep, the, guy, yeah. the tag team participant is being beat up. He tags the fresh guy in the hot tag. That's Marty Jannetty. So a lot of people did. I, I don't disagree. A lot of people thought, like, Jannetty is the star. Little did we know. Little did we know. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, Michaels did the heel turn, kicked him in the face in the, in the barbershop, the barbershop window. Barbershop window. I mean, there's T-shirts and, like, media of that. Um, question along those lines, Pro, for you. Was that the best heel turn of all time, in your opinion? And, and this is all subjective, but probably no, no. Okay. Um, Hogan joining the NWO has to be for me the greatest heel turn of all time because he was that like would be my other one. Superman. Yeah. This is like Superman turning into the devil. Yeah. And it was everybody's childhood hero suddenly turning to the dark side. Right. I will. I will. The only thing I will. Uh, I agree with you, but the only thing that gives me pause is the fact that like. Uh, all right, so news stations reported on Hogan turning bad. Uh, <laughs> I will say that. However, I do feel that Shawn Michaels, just based on the setting, it was almost more of a moment. It launched his career. It, it completely launched his career. And furthermore, it, it also put him as like this guy who can be vicious yet confident and cocky. It was very uh, new for the time. It was very aggressive. It was just putting someone moment, through yeah. a window was not something that was done in the 80s. Shy of, you know, uh, Piper hitting Snooka with a coconut. Yeah, yeah. Right? This, these two guys were supposed to be friends. So that kind of a turn, that vicious nature of it, and then Beefcake being like, Beefcake was all of us in that moment. Yeah. Just completely aghast and stepping back and letting it all happen. That was that was all of us in that moment. So it was... Uh, An argument can certainly be made for that being the yes. greatest heel turn of all time because sure. of what came later. I love that you're letting it play in the background again, by the way. Yeah, I'm just putting it on loop, man. It's just <laughs> yeah. fucking amazing song. Um, I, I will say I love when Kurt Angle came out with Sensational Sherry in the early 2000s. And 
<laughs> sang this song to the audience. I'm just a sexy Kurt. I'll make oh. your ankle hurt. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt, I mean, Kurt is is like one of my favorite wrestlers, like entertainers yes. of all time, for sure. Because he had that serious quality to him. It was a great in ring performer, but he never took himself too seriously. Not at he all. was able to be a joke of a character, but also a headliner, which is super hard to do. Yes, very. And he he had the goods in the ring. I mean, for a guy converting from. Um, Scholastic Greco-Roman wrestling, whatever you want to call it, to to the sports entertainment world. Jesus, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you could argue like, all right, Brock Lesnar, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, who who else has done it better than Kurt Angle? Nobody. I don't think anybody. Nobody. One of my favorite matches of all time: HBK and Kurt Angle WrestleMania. That was amazing. That was that's top three for me. Whoo, man! Phenomenal, phenomenal match. But HBK, yeah, young heel. HBK Intercontinental Title reign. I mean, come on, that was that was a heat thrower, flamethrower of a of a character. And I missed a lot of that because I, really? I left wrestling after WrestleMania 10. Okay, and I came back. For like what year was that? Sorry, I, I go by year. Um, like 94. Yeah, that was right around. Yeah, and I came back for five years later, WrestleMania 15. Got it. So I missed a lot of like HBK's comeuppance. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, he was fun because he was just cocky, confident. He'd, like, leave the ring. He took what Ric Flair did very well. We'll get to him in a bit. We took what Ric Flair did very well and, like, modernized it. Yep. And crystallized it and uh, um, really changed the game, I would say, for for the cocky heel around that time. Sure did. So, the second up on this list, that was Depro's choice, HBK, and a great choice. Now, here is my theme that I love so much. My favorite theme of all time, my favorite gimmick of all time, I have to say. This is Gold Dust. Remember the name. Gold Dust. <laughs> had the little bite at the end. But I love my favorite instrumental. My favorite uh, a, WWE instrumental. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. Like, end of the day, it's a beautiful song. And I often look at certain roles or ideas and mm-hmm. think, how did this work? Because on paper, it it sounds a little too kooky and strange to work. Yeah, it's like androgynous guy who dresses in gold and full body suit. Full body suit. Um, I, I I think it it also worked out that it came at, at the right time during the Attitude Era and things were getting a little strange. Yep. Um, yeah, you're post Hogan, right? So you're around like '94. You need to shake things up a little bit. You need to grab some attention. And what better way to do that than a character? I They call him the bizarre one, Goldust. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, son of Dusty, brother to Cody Rhodes. Yeah, man. Uh, wow, what a, what a strange out-of-left-field gimmick for the WWE. They're, they're drastically trying to fill that void post-Hogan and post-Macho. Yeah. like And Warrior. Right, because uh, Warrior was, I think, on hiatus around this time. Yeah, they had they, a tough transition. With they some needed weird some characters, some big personalities and big gimmicks, and they were very tryhard in this time to fill the fill the void. And at first, I think even Goldust too was a little like finding trying to find his way. They made him like a movie critic, and yeah. this and that. And then they were like, "All right, something weird is going on here. This is like people are reacting to it, and they're not sure how. But let's make him like a full boat heel." And uh, and it. It was enjoyable for me. Uh, I I, gra- I latched onto this gimmick completely. Yeah, big time. Uh, you remember when they they gave him Tourette's like in the, like the two oh, thousands? Yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> I don't know how he'd be in the ring like yeah yeah talking uh 
like Flair and Triple H, and they'd be laughing right in his face. And he would just, he stayed in gimmick. I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, it was weird. I, and to his credit, Dustin Rhodes, you know, again, son of Dusty, like, he was estranged from his father at this time. So what is the worst thing he can do to Dusty? At, and that was leave WCW for WWF. And he did. And so he got a call from Vince. Hey, I need you to be this character. Dusty admittedly hung up the phone, uh, excuse me, Dustin, right? The Goldust character hung up the phone and said, I don't even know what the word androgynous means. He had to go to a dictionary and look up what the word androgynous means to understand the role he was about to play on this show. And so and what he just agreed to like a five-year contract <laughs> to do. But they really tried to make him some strange kind of guy. His real-life wife was uh, Terry Runnels, and I forgot her, Marlena, right? Yeah. That was no, who... She was later just Terry in WWE, yeah. Yeah, that's who accompanied him to the ring. Um, but basically, Vince McMahon wanted to know he... like. He knew that he could push Dustin and this Goldust character like over the top. And then <laughs> Dustin eventually came to him and said, like, all right, how weird do you want to get? Like, do you want me to get breast implants? He offered to get breast implants for the character. Holy shit. <laughs> Isn't that next level crazy? I mean, that's method acting. Right? Next level, yeah. But, yeah. So, very unique character. Not to belabor the point here. It's It's really my favorite gimmick of all time for WWE. Gold dust. I am a real American. That's right, you are. <laughs> I mean, no song brings me back to being seven or eight years old in Madison Square Garden more than this track. Yeah, man. Were you a Hulkamaniac? No. No, okay. I wasn't either. I mean, I, I I was in awe of of his presence and who he was. Right. And I had like the Hulk Hogan, the yellow Hulk Hogan shirt with the holes in the back. Okay. But Pretty it close wasn't to like I was somebody I was like, oh, I can't wait to see Hulk Hogan. It was like I would just wanted, I was in awe of, just as much in awe of him as I was like Big John Studd and Andre the Giant. Okay. So like a larger than life character for you. Yeah, sure. My friend had the um, the weights, the uh, yeah, workout the, cassettes. I guess I did band. too. Maybe I was a, maybe. I, it sounds like you were. Did I ever, I must have told you about this at some point. Yeah. I had the Hulk Hogan workout set with like the blue weights and the headband. That's what I'm referring to. And yeah, and Hogan was on like, and it came with a cassette you'd play and it would yes. play like rock music and he talked over it. Right. And yeah. he'd be like, come on, pump those irons. And at one point, and I've met, definitely mentioned this in the pod before, he says, I'm watching you. And I was like, I bent down, and I'm like eight. I bent down and looked into the stereo and I saw, and I, I saw eyes looking back at me thinking, like, oh my God, he really is watching me. It was my own eyes in the reflection. <laughs> God, I was a stupid kid. But he had the whole, you know, say your prayers, take your vitamins, that whole thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's the most juiced up, one of the most of juiced up characters in the history of the sport. But, we, but Hulk JD, Hogan. If, if we could talk a little bit about some of the more memorable moments we've seen live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this isn't a memorable moment for the world, but for me, I saw um, Hogan versus One Man Gang in Madison Square Garden. I was like 10 in box seats, the coolest thing ever. I was more, I was just as excited about that as I was for the fact that I could eat as many hot dogs as I wanted in the box. <laughs> but I went to Rock Hogan, WrestleMania 18, an absolutely iconic moment, and just like felt like a fever dream, just absolutely crazy. Like they did all they could to make Hulk Hogan, this super bad guy who essentially almost tried to kill the rock. <laughs> and then he comes out in Toronto to like whatever, 80,000 people or whatever. And the place erupts. And I was one of them. Yeah. I am so jealous. I've been there for a lot of big moments in wrestling and, and 
it's kind of cool being there versus seeing it on TV. It's one of the few uh, entertainment experiences where like being there really, really makes a difference. It does. And so I am eternally jealous that you got to experience Hogan and Rock in Toronto for WrestleMania. I mean, that just... You see the camera, the, what they call the hard camera, and that's facing the ring, showing both men. It's a wide, wide view, yeah. just shaking because the whole arena is going and moving. And you were there; you were part of that. You were with Drew, right? I was with Drew. Was yeah. that the was that the 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 moment or the trip where Drew or you ran out of gas? Yeah, and so. Drew made you walk by yourself to get it. I didn't run out of gas, but we got what gas happened? at a gas station up near Buffalo, uh-huh. and I left the gas station. And I was like a mile up the road and realized I didn't put the gas cap back on. This is oh. when you could take the gas cap completely off. Right. And um, pulled over to the side of the road. And I'm like, what are we going to do? He's like, what do you mean we? You're going to walk back and get the gas cap. You forgot it, dude. Oh. And then I started walking back. And it was like it was like March. It was really windy. And a police officer saw me and wound up having mercy on me and driving me back. By the time I got back to the car, Drew had finished all the snacks. <laughs> oh. What a jerk. What a dick. The road trip snacks? Yeah. That you like earmarked we were Buffalo. for, for we your were trip? Far. We were far yeah, from Buffalo, home. Buffalo is very, even though it's New York and we are in New Jersey, yeah, it's not as close as one would think at all. Hulk Hogan, man. The, I, I looked it up. I am actually downright shocked. Hulk Hogan's net worth is only $25 million. I thought it would be around 100 Yeah. That's definitely on the low side for me, too. Do you think that's the Vinnie Mac, you know, owns the copyright, owns this, owns that? It's I, gotta I don't be know. part of it. Yeah. You think so? Oh, yeah. I mean, just only 25 mil net worth, but um, okay. It's all assets and everything. It's salary, it's everything. I mean, I, for, for one of the most famous people in the world, that definitely feels low. <laughs> right, doesn't it? I mean, it shows you the, the poor investment decisions that man and many other wrestlers and athletes have made through the years. I think it says more, speaks more about that than anything else. Yeah, yeah no doubt about it. Oh, yeah, my friend. Deep Row, this is my choice. What a, one of the strangest intro songs for anyone. It's the Reverend Slick, a manager, gets his own theme song. Jive Soul Bro. My goodness. The Slickster. Reverend uh, Slick. I love the Slick. He's like impossible to dislike. And he was like a heel manager too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my dad, my dad still references Slick sometimes. Unintentionally. I don't think he even knows who it is. But my dad and I, that was one of the things we bonded over as, as when I was a kid. So he would put on like the Mask Wear Garden show. Uh-huh. And he'd lay back in the couch, and within, like, half a match, he'd be asleep. But he would watch it just to, like, laugh at certain things. Sure. Like, the um, and, like the female valet, like Elizabeth, would get accidentally elbowed, and she would fall <laughs> over, and he would keel over laughing. And this is when I was a kid, and I thought it was real. And I, thought I my, can relate to that. I thought my dad was just, like, an asshole. <laughs> he would laugh about women getting knocked over by elbows. Oh, my God. And I realized later that it was, um, you know, he was laughing for a different reason. But I remember, like... <laughs> Whenever my um, whenever my kids would be like wrestling or something in yes. front of him, he he'll say he's got a five count to break that monsoon. Like so, because like when Slick would be on commentary, he sure. would say that. Yeah. My dad is like me, and he clings to the weirdest things. No, that's funny, and I and that's why I put this on. Is this is such an obscure theme song, but it is phenomenal. It's a great theme song. Like you said, one singing one's own theme song, and this is Reverend Slick. Just I don't even know what the song means or it's about, but it is associated with this man. I, I As one of the all-time greats. 
So a little bit of the the, the, the pathos is it pathos or pathos? Sure, either of of, of Deepro here. Mm-hmm. The first song I ever tried to write was based on this melody. Really? And it was about a girl that I went to school with who smelled bad. <laughs> that was, that, but I didn't have much other than that. What was the name of the song? Smelly Kelly. Smelly Kelly. <laughs> Even though Jive Soul Bro is like you know three syllables. <laughs> It was like, <laughs> Smelly Kelly, she took a shower. Oh, okay. And then she didn't, I don't know. I don't remember any of the words. Couple, I just remember she that, didn't go back for a couple hours. Whole, Come on, I can, I can write it with you right now. <laughs> the whole song was about how she needed to take a shower and refused, and then she ultimately takes a shower at the end. I'm really built to that. Did you work in Irish Spring or Dove? <laughs> like no, brand no. names? No. no, they weren't paying me. I wasn't going <laughs> to build them in there. But one thing that cracked me up was the fact that... Um, Slick would manage like the worst dudes. Like the, the I, I really wonder the win loss record of Slick as a manager. It's got to be like a, a, a ten to fifteen percent win percentage as a manager. Oh yeah, but didn't he manage? Did he manage Akeem or the one man gang? He managed gang? Uh, both. He managed both. So the one man gang was this bad biker dude, denim jacket, all black singlet, head tattoo, mohawk, big yeah. guy. I would put oh, him yeah. at maybe four. He was one of the first guys I remember, like Madison Square Garden, see him versus Hogan in a cage. Yeah, real threat to Hogan, who later came back as an African, <laughs> but he was still like this big fat white guy, right? Who would like, you know, dance his way down and you know using his arms and, and I still Akeem that is the still African dream. My go-to dance move. Oh yeah, the curly hands. It's like yeah. it's like kind of a swim. Yeah, it's just exactly hands yeah, that's are swimming. The best way to explain time? it. It's like a, it's like a swim. It's like you're doing a freestyle and you're happy about it. And you're not afraid. Yeah, you're not afraid of drowning. You're just kind of swimming. And so that's what Akeem did. So if you want to YouTube Akeem with an A, Akeem the African Dream, uh, just watch him as this 350 pound white dude pretends to be from Africa. <laughs> Imagine getting that notice, though, like, this is your new gimmick, which a lot, I mean, we, we haven't really touched on yet, but imagine being... Yeah, we talked about the gold dust, I mean, being assigned a gimmick, yeah. But if you're, yeah, which we did, you're right, but, like, when you're a musician, you can kind of, yeah, the, 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 the record company will have a say over what you wear a little bit, but you can yeah, kind of be your yourself, path. but yeah. imagine you're a wrestler and you get handed this gimmick, like, you're going to be this, you're going to pretend to be an African guy, and you've got to go all in on this, and yeah. dance like... And dance like a tribal, yeah. yeah, like a native uh, kind of thing, and and from some obscure tribal, you know, village. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's just weird. strange. It's definitely weird, man. <laughs> it was, uh, it was definitely a reach. I'm like, who can associate with that gimmick? I, I don't really understand. Oh man, so the, yeah, that is a Reverend Slick. And Akeem, the African... I think we talked about Slick for like 10 minutes. <laughs> We're like, yeah, oh, we got nothing for he him. He deserves it. Yeah, we got nothing for him. <laughs> this is the Million Dollar Man's theme song, Ted DiBiase. Yes. One of the most perfectly executed gimmicks of all time. Wow. Precision. Absolute precision on this gimmick. And he gets to, quote unquote, sing his own theme, which I always love. <laughs> yeah. And his laugh is legendary, still legendary. Always. This is Ha 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 ha. Wow. Still around, he still can do that laugh, which is where he made his money. And I mean, this was there were a lot of dumb gimmicks. This was a pretty good one. This was like, a good you're one. You're an arrogant millionaire who can feels like he can buy anything. He bought himself a championship belt. There is a lot of this is where we get really nerdy for the non wrestling fans. Like there is contention 
there's controversy about whether or not he actually had a world title reign because he bought a title. I don't consider it official. I don't. I mean, I consider Andre as, all right, so even though they had the double referee, Andre was still, pinfall counted, he was still awarded that championship. He's still laughing, by the way. (laughs) Andre, Andre's still laughing. Andre sold that championship to the million dollar man, right? So I in my mind, Andre was a world champion in the WWF. He was. Million dollar man, no. And so that that's the question that I want to ask of you, Deep Bro. Who of the never won a world championship besides DiBiase should have won a world championship in your mind? Uh, there's one that shoots immediately to, like skyrockets to the top of the list, Roddy Piper. Okay. That's cool. for me. I mean, just based on drawing power, in-ring skill, mic skills, like he had it all. All right. I'm with that. My vote would go to uh, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That guy did the work as Intercontinental Champion. And, uh, he had all the things I just said. Yeah. Great yeah. mic, great character. If not for Hogan being there, I think he would have had it. I think he and, him and Savage would have been amazing as a, a world championship feud. Piper was essentially like the Utah Jazz of the NBA. Like, yes. Would have had several championships if not for like Michael Jordan being there. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And so the million dollar championship. Wow. I, I remember the vignette where he went to the, the jewelry store and they, they paid the owner to like act. And that was apparent <laughs> that he was not in on it. <laughs> yes. This is the most expensive thing we've ever built in this store for anyone. Like <laughs> That reminds me of when the, the Undertaker was missing. Remember okay. that? And they'd go around the places like, have you seen? Yeah, I saw The Undertaker. He was in here just before. I mean, just the, some of the most piss poor acting you've ever seen in your life. Oh, they would sell you just so much shit. And then how about the kid with the basketball? That, was, that was amazing. So Ooh. The Million Dollar Man, if you haven't seen it, would do these like little bits where, he, where people would basically try to like, would lower themselves. <laughs> to to win his money and he's like hey kid if you can dribble his basketball 10 times in a row then i'll give you like a hundred dollars and on like the 10th bounce he kicked it away from him was <laughs> so good yeah and the kid never saw it coming nope that was the best part about it and and you know what he, his finisher too he'd put you in the sleeper hole and then when you're out stick a you know 100 or a 20 or a dollar in your mouth and walk away. What a way to end a match. That is so be, on brand. being a heel one-on-one. Uh, one-on-one. It's just amazing. All right. We are halfway through our WWE, WWF themes, perfect playlist podcast. And thank you for hanging in there. If you have, you know, you're like us. You didn't lose your virginity till late in life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but nonetheless, we appreciate you. And this is my choice here. The one of the very first themes for a character, probably the best WWE gimmick of all time. I'd say the most well executed. Oh, yeah. The Undertaker. Dude, this still brings me back to being I I was legit scared is kind of a strong word, but I was kind of scared. When, he, when this music would hit and he would come out. Because I get just, that. He just leans so hard into that gimmick. And if it had been, again, somebody else, anybody else other than Mark Calloway doing this gimmick, I don't know if it would have worked. I'm almost positive it would not have worked. And so when he first came on the scene, it was, I think, 90. Ted DiBiase was actually the one who brought him on the scene in the Survivor Series, yep. 90. Um, 
And Brother Love was the manager. Yes. So think about how incongruous that is now. Yes. I love you, Bruce uh, Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard, yeah. Uh, doctor, you know, whatever. Uh, Brother, Brother Love. Love uh, coming out with him. Later morphed into, or whatever, transitioned to Paul Bearer yep. as his manager. Fantastic parent. Made a lot more sense. Um, but, you know, that's that's to say that there have been a number of iterations of Undertaker through the years. And so he, even though it's a solitary gimmick, he has had like Undertaker version A, B, C, D. Yep. So let's run through a few of the iterations and, and help me understand which one was your favorite. You had the original with the gray gloves coming out, zombie-like Survivor Series 90. Yep. Then you had like, you know, the one with the mask and the purple gloves. You remember that the one? The of the Opera type, yeah. Yes, the fan of the Opera type. Then you also had the, you know, American badass oh, the biker one, yeah. the biker with the with the bandana. Um, you had like the UFC one where he was wearing the like the fighter gloves, oh, yeah, later yeah. stage Undertaker. So and then the ministry. How can we forget the ministry version huge, with yeah. the top knot? He had the Japanese top and the, the really contoured goatee. Uh, it was very, very goth. Uh, so of all those, which one was your favorite? It's uh, probably a mix between uh, between Ministry, uh-huh. Undertaker, and um, Original Undertaker. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's because that, that was my first... Again, I always say like it's a matter of what you see first, you develop an emotional attachment to. Sure. I, liked, I, I think all of them were great. Yeah. Because I, th- I think the, the biker thing, like not everybody was into, but... There's something about being able to reinvent yourself in different ways. And not that he was completely different. I remember him saying, like, hey, I may be, you know, like, I may dress different, but I'm still down with the devil. You know, he'd always make right. sure that you knew that he was still that same guy. Yes. That maybe I'm talking a little bit more now, but then, you know, bring it back to who he was originally. So yeah. there's always that core. And, like, bringing it back to music, it's like... um trying to think of, like, a, like when you 2 came out with How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Like, mm. that... That hit big because it was different than who they were, but it was still kind of a little left of center, but not too different than who they were before. The, the core of who they were was still there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think my favorite version of him was the ministry version, which was the top knot and the very goth thing because he had this big like suit with feathers. Like Visually, he looked his most intimidating. Yep. He was the biggest he's ever been in his career uh, size-wise and just very like contoured facial hair with the goatee. Uh, heavy on the eyeliner, like it just worked. And um, you like that eyeliner? Yeah. <laughs> Where am I going with this? <laughs> <Yeah, seriously. laughs> he just looked big and manly and yeah. had eyeliner on, and <laughs> yeah, God, really did it for me. Yeah, but I have to, I have to play though the one like when he went badass, right? The American badass route. Oh, when he and came out for like Judgment Day, whatever it was. Just so when he was just more of like a muscle bound badass. Oh, the Dead Man Walking song. Yes, yeah, right? this one right here. Dead Man Walking. You've done it now. But I want to point out, I want to point out a lyric. It's like, it's talking about like badasses always kicking assholes asses was the line. (laughs) What? Listen, it's coming. Come on. Always kicking assholes ass. <laughs> what a strange thing to build into your intro. I want to meet the 12-year-old who wrote these lyrics. <laughs> Always kicking assholes ass. Oh, man. But yeah, Undertaker, 
Obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest gimmick of all time. Um, phenomenal. And still gives you chills when you hear that. Theme yeah. Song, what, 30 years later. Now we're going to transition halfway through the playlist. When the glass breaks, it's your ass. Oh. Yes. Just, just like, it's such a simple riff. But my God, it, it is grown iconic over the years. Whenever that hits, an arena explodes. Absolutely. 100%. And um, if you've ever been there live when uh, when Austin comes out and that glass breaks, oh, it's instant, what a moment. Instant, yeah. yeah, instant pop, as they say. That's what's, a cheer. What's crazy is that he hasn't been in the ring for many years, right? right. He's been abs- you know, absent from the ring for a long time, semi-retired, came back this most recent WrestleMania, and he's still so relevant. That glass breaks, and the place still erupts like he's still a relevant wrestler like in the ring every weekend. So your opinion, what's the biggest pop? Peak Stone Cold, peak Hulkamania. What do you think? I guess it depends on the arena you're in at the, t- at the time. I mean, it's Yeah, but it's, like, it's give comparable. me a take. Give me a take. Austin, probably. Austin, yeah. I think that the, like, that the fan base was a little bit more rabid then. Okay, for I'm with Hogan, that too. It was, for Hogan, it was like, I think his biggest pops came and like, had like 10 or 11-year-old kids like me and you. Yeah. At the event, but Austin, it was like big, rabid guys, like in their in their mid twenties or early thirties, and um, just get, able to get out a little bit more base. I like that. Um, I think when when Hogan came out, it was like, okay, he's either going to save someone, or he's being introduced as the guy to like vanquish the foe, the yep. you know Bundy, Giant Andre, Big John Stud, the big guys, right? Yep. So it was almost like the hero pop. When Stone Cold came out, it's like, oh, fuck. What the fuck is yeah. going to happen? Like, someone is going to pay for whatever. Like, you just didn't know. It was so random. It was just random violence. You're right. And it's often a surprise. Yes. When Austin came out. Because just the glass like breaks he, and he, boom. he was here to restore order in his absolute kick ass, you know? Yeah, it was cool. It was fun. And, you know, you got a guy like Austin who... Really didn't find his way in WCW too much. He was doing like a, a Hollywood Blondes gimmick and, um, you know, doing this and that. And then comes to WWE and makes like this anti-authority character, which is perfect for the 90s. You know, that is the Austin uh, career arc is good news for anybody who's like kind of middling in their career, not sure where things are going. Like you find the right opportunity for you. You could be the next <laughs> Steve Austin in your career. I'm kind of saying that half facetiously, but <laughs> if you find the right fit, the right the, the fit that really makes you sing um, and makes your skills come out, which it did for him. Like that's that the, was the perfect role for him. That's like beer swilling, ass kicking, badass. Like yep. before that, he wasn't doing it, and that's what he was he was born to do. And he's every bit of Texan. I mean, the guy, you know, just like Taker, he, he like lives on some ranch in Texas. Uh, shoots guns, hunts, and et cetera, Rides et cetera. Like these are whatever they um. What are the? I don't even know. This is how much of like a of a suburban guy I am. Like, what do they call those like little things you ride on? Oh, the ATVs. ATVs, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's he lives the gimmick, as they say. Lives the gimmick. I like that. JD, did you have any um like wrestling T-shirts? So um, I had a couple of bad ones. I had the uh, Mister Ass. <laughs> Remember the one with the big yes. lips on the front? Billy Gunn, yes. Yeah, my mom wasn't too thrilled about that. I'm an ass man. At the time, it was about like 19 or 20. But I did get one other one that I'm embarrassed that I have that I want to show you because I have it with me in my bag. No way. Yeah. And b- before I take it out, I want to I wanna just say that I got this before this wrestler passed away. And that's important information to have. Okay. So here, check it out. 
Uh, oh, is that a Crispin washer? It's a Chris. I have a Chris Ben washer. Whoa. Wow. I think I was able to wear it once. <laughs> wow. And then he went and murdered his family like three weeks later. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm suicide. Yeah. You know, like I called the, the WWE shop. They wouldn't take it back. It was a whole thing. Really? No, not really. I didn't oh. do that. But, <laughs> but I, 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 I will say that I do hold on to it because maybe one day I'll sell it and like donate like money to like St. Jude's Children's Hospital or something like that. No, it's very so, nice. I mean, that is an original shirt at front and back. Benoit Academy, it says. Uh, it's him doing the the diving flying headbutt, which was, I would say, his signature move, not his finishing move. Yeah, it was, it was one of his two it was like, signature, signature moves. moves. Yeah, And so he, uh, which he grabbed from the, um, Dynamite Kid. Yes. Uh, as, as famously outlined. And wow, man, geez, that is a collector's item. I guess in the same way like a Charles Manson shirt would be a collector's <laughs> item. You know I got you. Yeah. One. Break the one. Oh, yeah. One of my selections for the list. Y2J. Chris Jericho, Break the Walls Down. Man, I remember at the time one of the most anticipated debuts of all time. And it. It was Chris Jericho jumping ship from WCW to WWF. I mean, this was right at the start of, like, internet spoilers and things. So, like, that six months to year of internet usage really, like, hyped this up. It's like, something's coming. Jericho's coming. Oh, my God. It's Y2J Jericho. People were still speculating. They didn't know what was happening. Honestly, I know, like, I've talked about... Like how wrestling can be nerdy, and nothing got nerdier than like when somebody was going to jump somewhere else. Like yes. you never wanted to talk about that mixed company. Like, <laughs> hey, did you hear Jericho's coming to WWE? And I heard about that too. And this was like right at like the mania when I was really super into wrestling. And then you know, remember the Rock being in the ring, and then like that they had that countdown, the Cup coming up, and yep. then we knew like this is Jericho. And there'd always be like the one or two smart fans in the crowd who had the Jericho sign. Yes, they knew it was up, and he came, came correct up with that with that really. Like, you know, shiny, uh, shirt. shiny, like silver shirt, like with yep. his back to the crowd saying, welcome to Raw. It's Jericho. The place goes berserk. Immediately inserted himself into like the mid to, to, to high level, um, you know, the card. Yeah. Th- those things just didn't happen in that era at all. Like yeah. debuts like that, etc. You know, it just didn't happen other than you know, what you saw with NWO prior to that. With Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. But that aside, I mean, this was just not a thing. No. In wrestling. And that's what made it so, so special. Yeah. I mean, since then, you know, you've got competing companies, AEW, et cetera, and, you know, who's going where. And there's a lot of speculation. But, um, yeah, I think Jericho was the first one to make that interesting. Yeah. To really make that a thing. You know, obviously, again, like I said, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash jumping was a moment in wrestling history. But since then, um, you know, Jericho was the first to do it really right in terms of, like, months and weeks of anticipation, speculation, contract expiring. No one was talking about that. Yeah. No, no I know. One. I mean, I, at the time, I was writing for, um, and again, if you were really into the weeds in wrestling, you knew what OneWrestling.com was, which was they called the Dirt Sheets, where basically it was just like a wrestling news and insights and gossip, frankly, uh, site that was that was um, owned by Joey Styles from ECW and WWE fame. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember just, like, scouring those sites to get information and, like, when there was, like, breaking news going there. And, you know, now, of course, you get Twitter and you get notifications sent to your phone. But 
you know, back then you really had to dig to find this stuff. But once you found that and you were like the one of your friends who knew what was happening, man, yeah. and then you knew like, okay, this could happen tonight. And then you'd watch with bated breath in that show and you, you knew something special was happening. Exactly. Exactly. And Jericho, man, he was the perfect guy to do it because he is an entertainer. Jericho not only could bring it in the ring with in WCW with guys like Guerrero and Dean Malenko and things like that, but he could hang with a guy like The Rock, a guy like Austin Triple H, and cut a st- amazing promo. Oh, Jericho's up there with Angle for me for like my favorite all around entertainers because they could do it all. Yeah, and he's morphed through the years. Uh, Jericho, he's got his list. You just made the list. Uh, that's like oh, a recent yeah. thing. That was cool. Raw is Jericho. You know the Y two J thing. The Y two yeah the Ayatollah Rockarola. He like constantly uh, innovates and and makes up his own nicknames and catchphrases and brand and uh, he's a, he's a fun one to watch. All right, moving into the home stretch here. It's the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> Jimmy Hart and the Honky Tonk Man on this one. I got long sad burns and my hair slicked back. I'm coming to your town in my pink Cadillac. I'm just a Honky Tonk Man. This, this, this should never have worked. <laughs> but Roy Farris, who, um, Roy Wayne Farris, rather, who was, um, the, uh, the wrestler, the actor who played the Honky Tonk Man was so good at this. Like, it would feel like he was born to play this character and he leaned into it so heavily. It's basically an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, big I mean, time. It made no sense that it worked as well as it did. Um, but then he embraced, like, this concept of being the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Like, being the best <laughs> of, like, the mid-tier guys. Doesn't it, do, you, do you feel like he should have gotten a, a shot at the top? I think he was given a shot at the top. At Hogan and them, wasn't he? I feel like he was in and there he, a little bit. He dipped his yeah. toe in the pool. Once once Warrior pinned him in like 40 seconds, yeah. that was the beginning of the end for I, Hunky I, I always hated that for wrestlers. Same. It set a bad precedent. And, you know, to end one of the like most amazing reigns yeah. in that title's history that way was, was shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like wrestling purists like you and I who do, I, I enjoy the bad guys. So I grew up my whole life liking the bad guys i think every single selection on my list is a, a predominantly more popular as a heel yep. than they are as a face um and so i grew up liking the bad guys and these are the people i rooted for actively so i was never a hogan fan never a warrior fan etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so to see that moment man that killed my soul when the warrior rushed out yeah, and no. crushed, squashed Honky Tonk in 40 seconds I, at WrestleMania. I hated it, too. I really did. But, that was tough. By the way, the chorus, and this just goes back to, he, he says, I'm the Honky Tonk Man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. When I was a kid, and this is well before you could just look this stuff up on the internet. Yeah. I did not know the full chorus. So when I would sing this, I literally would sing it in my room. I would sing, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm bad, because I didn't know what the second word was, because I only heard it. I didn't know what the second word was, and I couldn't look it up. So I sounded like Johnny Two Times. I would just sing, cool, cool. Johnny Two Times. (laughs) (laughs) Little known fact, uh, Honky Tonk Man, the cousin of Jerry King Lawler. Indeed. Yeah, indeed they are. um, I think that's that's a factoid that's gotten lost in time. Really? Yeah, I always Much knew like that, Honky Tonk Man's brand. It has, but he, he, he showed up a few years ago, and probably at this point seven or eight years ago at Royal Rumble, which is one of those events that um, 
I, f- I feel like I'm done even trying to explain this to people who aren't <laughs> wrestling fans. But uh, just one of like my favorite event as a kid. Just so much fun. A lot of surprises. A lot of people from the past would show up. Loved it. Is he the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, in your opinion? It's very, very subjective. It, it is. Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. He, he says so, and he was very convincing. So right. I'll, I'll give it to him. I mean, who else has a stake at that? What, like, I, Savage? I think Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, might. Maybe Ricky Steamboat. But um, I think that's where it ends. Yeah. For me. Uh, but no, the, the Intercontinental title was always, like, the guy who is, is just shy of main event. Yep. Just shy of, of being, like, or, or or they are the next big thing, and that's their training ground as a title holder. Uh, you saw that with a lot of times with, you know, Savage, Warrior, you know, et cetera, et cetera, through the years. So it was a great title. I always rooted for for it. But I, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I did train as a wrestler. I did take four months of, like, in-ring training. Oh, I, four months. I was, like, three months longer than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did the thing. And... I mean, that was just four four painful months. People like think that. wrestling's fake. People say wrestling's fake, and, and wrestling is predetermined. But there's nothing fake about falling. There's nothing fake about. I hate getting the word hit. fake. I hate the word fake. Yeah, because by the same token, you could of course say that act, you know acting is fake. Movies are fake. Right. In the right. same regard, but exactly. this is even less fake because you're actually getting hurt. <laughs> you know, you're losing painful. blood, you're breaking bones. And yes, yeah. like, of course, some of these punches can look really silly, especially if you're well, they work at them. it. You know, yeah. they hit you in a spot where it's not that painful to be hit, but it still hurts. Yep. It still doesn't feel good to be hit full speed by someone, <laughs> yeah. even if it is in your neck as opposed to your jaw or the top of your head as opposed to your cheek. Um, so, but you still are getting hit. The main thing that's alarming too is what they call the bump when you fall backwards and you land. Yeah. So you have to have clear commitment and faith to falling on your back, no legs, no, and then your arms do the slap to yep. take away from your back. But really you're falling on pine board. It's just a thin layer of pine board. And then above that pine board is almost foam, almost like akin to what's under your carpet. That kind of foam is under it. So you're really, you're falling on wood, uh, which is, which bends, but it doesn't feel good. No, no. And it feels like a car crash. And I, I considered doing that when I was, again, doing play-by-play for, for your event. Yeah. It, but I thought, you know what? How embarrassing would it be if I got injured falling just one time on my back? <laughs> like, I'm not even going to do it. I think I ran the ropes a little bit. That was it. It's fun. It's a fun exercise. All right. Final one on our playlist. Woo! Oh, D-Pro. Oh, yeah. My favorite wrestler of all time to watch in the ring. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, in and out of the ring, I will say. Total package. Well, now, even now, like he's, he's really leaning Ooh. heavily back into his Nature Boy gimmick. Oh, my God. Chicken beers left and right. I think he got divorced again. Yeah, this is a Nature Boy, just, wow, cautionary tale on so many levels, financially, uh, maritally, if, if that's even a word. Yeah, he, he's lived a life, I'm telling you, man. But he, that, that's, that's who he is. You know, as you said with, um, you know, Austin, like, living the gimmick, being, the, being like, 100% a Texan, he is this larger-than-life, huge personality Yeah, that, you know, the limousine ride and jet stealing, kiss stealing, like, kiss stealing, like... Right, jet flying. This yep. is who he is. Like, this Absolutely. isn't a stretch for him. And I think that's what makes, like, the best wrestlers. It has to be an extension of who you are. 
and at times where they, I'm sure we could talk all day about gimmicks where it didn't work because it wasn't <laughs> an extension of them. But hey, you know, I mean, and he seems like he seems like at, at heart a good guy too. He would get a stipend from WCW just to go out and drink and party and wear Rolexes and travel in limousines as part of the gimmick. So almost like, you know, Ted DiBiase was definitely a ripoff of this from that perspective, the financial perspective alone. But, I mean, they would give him that money to spend to be this character. It was all built into the, the budget. That's amazing. Isn't that wild and unprecedented in I, wrestling history? I'd like that to be part of my job. Right. Let's go. Just blow this on some coke. And some <laughs> yeah, we need people to think you're some yeah. high-rolling millionaire. <laughs> but, Ric Flair, to your point, though, yeah, he's still kind of doing it. And he's 50 years running, 50 years of just falling like a animal onto the mat. And but um, That's another thing, right, is you talked about uh, Shawn Michaels earlier in his ability to sell yes. and how that got him so far. And that's such a big part of the job that... that some of these like younger guys may not even or, or girls don't realize is that's just as important as as being able to execute the neck breaker or do right. a splash in the top rope it's being able to show and and create empathy for your character yes exactly yeah so he would spend his matches like 75 percent of the match would be him flopping around and and then he cheats at the end to get the win like that was his gimmick his entire gimmick um seven times a week and that's why I respect a guy like Ric Flair, who is like a, a teen number of times multi-world champion, um, because those reigns would last so long and they'd work so much longer yeah. than a guy who now holds it, you know, for 400 days in a row, but he's only working really a day a week tops. Yeah. Um, yeah, whatever. Enough of my old old man take, but um, yeah. But, but Ric Flair, I think, is the only wrestler here uh, included in, in these 10 themes who was predominantly a WCW guy. Right. Right. And I think that really speaks to just how much of an icon he is that he's the only crossover to another federation. I mean, it's granted he used this in WWE as well, but yeah, he did. Yeah. And he did. And this is the WWE theme, whatever, who cares? But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the 30 for 30 on him is amazing. You have to watch it. I know. Yeah, I do. Is. I want to. Yeah. And and they just commissioned him yesterday. I uh, just just announced they signed a contract with him to make a two hour, never before seen footage kind of documentary on him. So he's a fascinating subject on multiple levels: the personal, the professional, etc. He readily admits his failures as a person to his own health and well being. Um, so it is. He is an entertain entertaining study uh, at his own expense, but. Um, geez, I wonder if guys like him and Hogan, like how do their bodies feel at this age? I wonder. Yeah. It's can't feel broken great. men. I mean, I wonder how much drugs they're taking now to yes. for pain management because it, it can't feel great. I mean, Hogan can't even do a leg drop. Not that many people do it can do it at his age anyway. Yeah. But still, I, your point is, is a good one. And, and Ric Flair, even though I love the match with um, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, his final match, a.k.a. his final match. Yeah, that was great. Um He's officially performing one more match, though. He just announced last week. Who Flair is? Flair is doing one more match. Where? Ricky Steamboat turned him down for the match. So is he still looking for an opponent? But Jeez. Yeah. It's I mean, little... hey, you know what? When you're addicted to something, you're addicted to it. It doesn't, you know, like, if you look at it through the lens of, 
like a lot of these bands, like Brian Wilson, right, from the Beach Boys. Like right. you could look at him and say, you you shouldn't be doing this anymore. You're well past your prime. But yep. they don't even. It's same thing with sports. They don't even care mm-hmm. that they're past their prime. They just love doing this so much. So in that regard, I respect these guys who are just like, I'm still alive. Fuck it, I'm gonna try it. Yeah, they're I'm living for it. it. Yeah, yeah, they're completely living for it. So I get that. Yeah, same. <laughs> and Ric Flair too, five times married. Five times? Yeah. Is, five is he times. trying to reach the number of times he was world champion? I think so. <laughs> Master Coxman. <laughs> so, in your opinion, Deepro, let's transition to like, what do you think makes a good theme song? It's got to match the character. It has to have replay value. Okay, yeah. It has to be something that is, like, if there's vocals, it has to be singable. It has to be memorable. Uh-huh. Uh, it has to be something that you're going to want to hear a hundred times, and it, it won't get old. One thing I learned in that wrestling school, which, you know, a guy I went to college with, by the way, ran. He's a friend of ours. He would always say, like, once that music hits, if I don't know within a few seconds whether you are a good guy or a bad guy, that's a bad thing. Like, I need to know within seconds what your gimmick is and what you're all about. And furthermore, it's got a, like, drip of what you are and who you want to be. So what do you think are some, some songs that stick out to you as, like, awful? One that sticks out to me is, <laughs> remember Kate Quick, Ron Killings? Sure. Uh, his rapping. R-Truth, now known as R-Truth. All right. His rapping WWE theme from the early 2000s. And there it is. <laughs> Here it is. And he would do this coming to the ring. Terrible. The worst lyrics I may have ever heard. Move some things. See, he says move that ass like Jada Lang. Jada Lang? Who's Jada Lang? Do you know who I, you know, you know, literally until an hour ago what I thought the lyric was? Jack Lane? Yes. Right, yeah, I thought it was I thought shake it was Jack that Lane. ass like Jack LaLanne, which again would still make no sense. Right. But at least in the realm of sense of like working out. I guess, but why would Jack LaLanne be Lang? shaking? It's like some actress. I looked it up. Okay. Like That's what the lyric shows on Google, and I'm going to trust Google here. But that doesn't make any more or less sense than Jack LaLanne. Jack LaLanne's like a fitness expert, like a bodybuilder. <laughs> why would he be shaking his ass? I don't know. Also, he, he mentioned Suffer and Succotash. I'll be the rash on your ass. Like the whole rash on your ass, the whole hook is we got to move some things. Like yeah. what are we moving? Or where? Yeah, where are we going here? That yeah. became a punchline between me and uh, Drew. We'd okay, be hanging cool. out like at this, like in our mid twenties, and be like, "All right, let's go. We got to go move some things." Move like, some things. <laughs> just so ambiguous. It didn't make any sense. And also, this is just another example of how WWE like just puts black guys in a box. Like you're either going to be a thief or you're going to be a rapper. Right. Exactly. You're yeah. Be money you're hungry. Completely pigeonholed. Uh, well, my choice for a bad one was the this one right here. This is when Diesel, uh, the bodyguard of Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, broke out onto his own. They gave him his own theme song, and it was this. Stuck in traffic and you're in a truck. <laughs> Literally a truck running. A truck's engine running and a horn. Is there no music with this? None. <laughs> There's no bass, no treble, no nothing. And it stopped. The engine stopped. Oh, now it started back up. <laughs> I mean, at least this is, they went on, they definitely went on the cheap with this one. This is something they, they, they definitely created themselves. Like a, with a tape a recorder. Terrible entrance theme, man. The first time we see this guy and he's coming out with his horn blaring. 
mean, what thought process went into that, if at all? Terrible. Wow, what a choice. That's awful. What a story, Mark. My God. Jeez. Well, hey, if you're still here. God bless you. Jesus. I, Deeper and I will blow you. How's that? <laughs> I mean, Just speak for yourself. No, I'll do something. I'll give them a massage while you're doing the dirty work. That's fine. You you make the eye contact. I'll I'll go head down. <laughs> that's fine. Is Honestly, it, it's always it, a joint effort. If you are still here, like, email us, DM us, whatever you got to do. Just let us know you're still here. You still heard this, because the, Jesus Christ, the secret word is unicorn. <laughs> so just text us or or tweet us with the word unicorn to let us know you you made it this far because. You deserve something. And if I could just throw one last thing in. Thank you for the idea of this show. To Brian Burkhart, Double B, our friend on Twitter. Thanks, dude. He gave us this idea originally. A few of you co-signed it. God bless your souls. You wanted to hear this. And again, we will blow you. DeProspero will line it up. He's <laughs> I mean, he's the sex deviant. We definitely did not talk about this offline, but okay. What? I mean, hey, I'll, I'll roll with the punches here. <laughs> Brian, you, you know, if... if since it was your idea, you'll be first in line. Yes. Just, I'm glad we got to talk about wrestling. I'm glad we got to kind of fly our, our freak flag today, JD. For yeah. me, like, as a kid, some of my best memories were watching wrestling. When I was a young adult, nothing, nothing was better than going to my buddy Doug's to watch some illegal um, WWE pay-per-views on his illegal scrambler. Um, just eating a Domino's pizza, like, at the time, which I thought was great stuff. <laughs> but just, like, it's carefree times that seem so, so far away right now. So I want to thank you guys for listening to The Perfect Playlist. Check us out on social, on Twitter, at ThePerfectPL, or on Instagram, at ThePerfectPlaylistPod. And this is Deep Row for JD, looking up at the lights, saying, see you in the ring, brother. Oh, yeah. <laughs>